Um, unfortunately, we're not Zooming right now, but our sermons are available on our website, and we're going to get live streaming up here in the turn of the year. So we are sorry that folks were not able to. Those of you who are listening to this later on, we're sorry that you missed the beautiful music, but um, know that you're in our thoughts as well. So let's listen to the Word of God that comes to us from the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the Great, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed we may encounter you the living word, and may you be born anew in all of us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the richness of the nativity scene, it's inspired so much art, music, literature, our very own stained glass, and so many remarkable Renaissance portrayals. You know, the first living nativity scene was re- that was ever recorded was what St. Francis did in Grigio in 1223. And thus was invented the Christmas pageant. The history of which includes many memorable moments. I've had many memorable moments over my career, uh, including one year where the star of Bethlehem costume had faded and broken down. And as the star walked in, it struck me, unfortunately, the star looked like the Grand Wizard of the KKK. We threw away that costume um, after that. One of my favorite stories is a prayer of Owen Meany, and because it's church, I can't really share it, but I go home and read the Christmas pageant story in John Irving's great novel. Um, I've been, as a kid, I was in a number of them. I was a king. One year I was a singing shepherd. I'm not sure where guitar came in the shepherd, but I got to be a singing shepherd one year. I remember when I was in high school, the Presbyterian Church did a live nativity scene. Um, and I don't know about the angels on high, but the smell coming from behind the stable, I'm pretty sure the shepherds were high. Uh, that, uh, 
I really wish I was making that up. <laughs> They're all fine Presbyterian elders now, those young men. <laughs> the word tableau entered my vocabulary. I was in a very large uh, chorus. Our director had been a staff sergeant in the Marines. So it was this wonderful combination of music and terror. Uh, and uh, we did the song of Christmas. And there's a long story that involves uh, crimes and misdemeanors about us breaking frankincense, but I'll just have to keep that to myself. This year, in the midst of so much uncertainty, with senator forces at work both home and abroad, with tragic violence and war, in the graceless age of cynicism and superficiality that so mark our age. We once again make a pilgrimage to the manger. And I think it's sad and tragic, but it's fitting that Bethlehem is closed this year because of the tragedies and the bloodshed in the region. And frankly, 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem wasn't such a great place to be either under the terror of what was called the Peace of Rome. that came at the price of so many innocent lives. But it's particularly in these times, and not only the tragedies that are happening throughout the world, but there are many of us who are celebrating a Christmas this year without someone very special who's gone on. We have people in our congregation who are driving, even as we're here, to say goodbye to a loved one. And I think that the power of reality is precisely a corrective to so much of the sentimentality, which is fine, but takes us away from what this night is really about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew something about suffering in hard times, said, in Jesus Christ, the reality of God has entered into the reality of the world. So I invite you to come with me to the tableau, to the characters that make up the manger scene. And we start, I think, with two men, two very different men, the innkeeper and Joseph. My uh, third son lived with me for a while. He uh, just had a baby, uh, the December one, so we're excited about that, he and his wife. But he was going through a tough time, and I was getting a little frustrated with him. And he said to me at one point, he said, well, you know, you just be you. To which I said, well, what if me being me is throwing you out of my house right now? <laughs> he said, well, then don't be you. <laughs> I love him a lot. But, you know, that's kind of one of the great fallacies and the great um, kind of sadness of our time. We're all so busy, you being you, that we miss each other. And I think, you know, the innkeeper, wasn't his fault that the place was full. And he maybe felt bad, maybe he didn't. But he made a decision. Abraham Verghee, who uh, many of you are reading The Covenant of Water, his first book was Cutting for Stone, which I think was a great book. 
And in that book, he says this, the world turns on our every action and on our every omission, whether we know it or not. The innkeeper didn't make a room for the savior of the world. And frankly, even if it wasn't the savior of the world, a woman about to have a baby from a long place, long far away, our failure to, to make room for the poor, our failure to make room for those in need, is such a judgment on our time. Life happens and we end up filling up the spaces of our lives with busyness, with work, with family. And yet we can be so full that we can be so remarkably empty at the same time. I don't think we're better as a society because there's such little room for God in our lives. I know we're not better to each other because of it. Now, there, there's another possibility about the innkeeper because the stable for most homes in that area of Judea, the stable was actually connected to their house. So maybe he didn't give them the bedroom, but my guess is the innkeeper's wife or the innkeeper himself helped bring that baby into the world. And sometimes it's about doing the best that we can, right? And if we give God a little bit, well, there's amazing room for transformation and love there. Then we move to Joseph, the forgotten character in this story. Matter of fact, today we had Joseph played by a puppet. I'm still protesting that, by the way, all right? All right. Our real Joseph went away on vacation, but nonetheless, okay, you know, that's got, a lot of us men could probably be replaced by puppets if you stop and think about it, which is, is not a really good thing to think about too much. But, you know, he was a stand-up guy. He gave up hope of normalcy. It says when he first finds out that Mary's going to have a baby, and, and that would have been one of the great conversations of all time. Hey, I got good news. I'm going to have a baby. It's not yours. <laughs> but God's the father. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it says this in Matthew's gospel. Being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, he was resolved to divorce her quietly. Now we know that an angel shows up and he is the guy who takes care of Mary and the savior of the world. He saves their lives at least twice that we know of. And I think it's really important. The Bible says he was just. The Greek for that word is also righteous. And it's really good for those of us who believe and have faith to be reminded that to be just and to be righteous according to the Bible, is to be compassionate and to be forgiving. Joseph, one of those greatest men to ever live, that no one ever notices. And maybe that's what your life is. Maybe your life is full of sacrifice, working behind the scenes, practicing mercy, 
No one maybe ever notices you. You're never the star. But you know what? When you give love, when you practice mercy, you're not only welcoming God into your life, but you're offering concrete expressions of God to other people. Even if you don't believe in God, God doesn't care. He uses your compassion anyway. Joseph. Then you got wise men and shepherds. You know, sometimes we matter in life and sometimes we are invisible. Sometimes we have power and influence and sometimes we have very little. Sometimes we're magi, sometimes we're wise men, and sometimes we are shepherds. Shepherds were invisible in this society. They were lowly. Matter of fact, there's an ancient source that says that shepherds were so notoriously liars that they weren't allowed to testify in court. And yet, in the divine humor, who are the first witnesses to the redemption of the world? God sends angels to people that no one will believe. And what about the wise men? You know, there are all kinds of speculation what the Magi were. Um, They were one part astrologers, one part astronomers, one part probably advisors and scientists, one part magicians, right? That was the nature of that, that world. But regardless of what their work and studies and beliefs were, and they weren't Jewish, they weren't people looking for the Jewish Messiah, they dropped everything to find a greater truth. What's important to you? What lesser things are you willing to give up in order to find the higher things? And then there's Mary. Mary said yes. Mary consented to the birth of God within her so that we all may encounter this God. Thomas Alik, the great Czech thinker, says this, mystery unlike a mere dilemma cannot be overcome. One must wait patiently at the threshold and preserve it. Must carry it in one's heart, just as Jesus' mother did according to the gospel, and allow it to mature there and lead one to, in turn to maturity. Frederick Buechner one time said, the late great Frederick Buechner who lived near here, the world is a manger and Christmas itself is by grace in spite of our own blindness. And I think that's part of with this pilgrimage because as we come and we see Mary, we also imagine this child, a possible miracle that God has come into this world And I think tonight, regardless of how you've gotten to the manger, regardless of why you're here and how you got here, or who made you come, (laughs) whether you're a shepherd or a wise man, whether you're Joseph trying to do the right thing, whether you're an innkeeper and why not, right? We have an opportunity for truth and grace and mercy to be born in our life anew. The mystery of Mary's child, the mystery of her saying yes, is still an offer that is on the table for you and I. In a scary world full of shadows, in this beautiful world full of hope, in this time of uncertainty, you can say yes.
you can say yes. Father Alphonse Voxman was a Catholic priest that tried to protect Jews during World War II. It cost him his life. And last Christmas he was alive, he was chained in a cell without any heat in it. And he wrote this on December 23rd, 1943. He would be executed several months afterwards. For me, the frame of the festival was clearly defined, the walls of my prison cell. Never have I knelt at the manger in such poverty as I do this year. Everything has been taken away, my home, my honor, my life. So I want to kneel at the manger of him who had no place to lay his head, who as a friend of his people was condemned to death, who poured out his blood like a libation and sacrificed for the salvation of his people in the entire world. As a gift I bear to the manger, hunger and cold, loneliness, forlornness, shining chains are my only ornaments. So I want to give my life previously placed in the service of the King of Christmas to him who saved me with his precious blood. With copious tears of penance, I want to wash away everything that has turned to guilt and remorse in me. It is in this spirit I am going to make my pilgrimage to the manger. I hope through the grace to celebrate Christmas deep within my heart and mind as I never have before in my life. If this can be found facing your death alone in a prison cell, what grace is available for you surrounded by people you love with an opportunity to live and to love in hope, in joy, and in peace? Come, let us adore him, Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.
I always remember my friend Tom Jones in Christmas. He was kind of across between John Kennedy and Will Ferrell, or not Will Ferrell, but uh, Chris Farley. And he would show up for Christmas Eve, already having celebrated a little bit, wearing a Santa's outfit. He'd come up and put his arm around me and go, Bill Moore, my good friend Bill Moore. Do you know why I didn't come to church once a year? I said, no, Tom, tell me why, because you are so good, I only need one sermon. <laughs>
and visit. We're leaving every morning of the 28th. Oh, yeah.
Did I see you meet Mom? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Thank you, you too. Fantastic, now relaxing you. Thank you so much. And then you can. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Great you. Merry Christmas. You're a good man. You just listen to whatever you're So I had a wife. I had a coat. Man, that's Too bad, but I, 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 I'm glad. I remember the days when there would be six services on these days, so oh, yeah. I'm happy to do well, the two. Yeah, no, yeah, but uh, okay, thank you. Going down to the Berkshires for a couple of days with her dad. Oh, okay, good. And then we'll end the week to Philadelphia. So, uh, the eighth. So I'm here. I'm, I'm in. I'm in the pulpit. I'm taking next Sunday off. I'm in the pulpit on the seventh. Okay. All right. I won't. All right. Oh, that's right. You're part of the Magical Mystery Tour. Yes, we are. All right. All right. Well, I have a T-shirt by uh, uh, that you may need. Oh, excellent. Um, bring lawyers, guns, and money. Good day. Thank you. We appreciate you guys coming. Really do. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
The music's pretty good here. It is. Yeah, they're good. I, I mean, the like uh, the woman who directs the Bell Choir is Westminster Choir College grad. Mm -hmm. The guy who read was a uh, uh, New York Conservatory of Music guy. Yeah, so one of the people that were, the guy who sang the tenors did uh, theater and and state choral stuff with the orchestra. Well, hey, where's your mom? She's talking to me. You guys, did you drive? Did you drive? Huh? Yeah. <sighs> Not bad. The building's empty at 820. Yeah. Uh, Seems pretty crowded. Yeah, it was. It's kind of back to pre-COVID numbers. Good. We're going to go try to find her. All right, that's good.
there. Good night. 